If you're just joining us, we have been traveling through a famous parable found in Luke chapter 15 called the prodigal son. Now this is a story that is actually about two sons, an older son and a younger son. And in this parable, Jesus is telling us about two different experiences that we have as human beings around lostness. We are lost or separated from God through our own selfishness. When we think only of ourselves, our needs and our desires all the time. This is what we see in the younger son. We're also lost or separated from God through our own self-righteousness. We see the world through our need and our ability to follow the rules all of the time. And because we follow the rules so perfectly, or we think we do, we think we are without sin and therefore superior to others. And this is what we see in the elder son. The good news, though, and probably the biggest takeaway from this entire sermon series is that we have a God who calls all of us home. Whether we are selfish or self-righteous or a little bit of both, this is our journey to come home to God. That even though we are broken and sinful, God wants us. God chases after us. God relentlessly pursues us. And God calls us home to him. And he rejoices when we return home to him. With that, let's pray. Dearest Father, be with us now. Open our hearts as we learn what it is we need to learn from you today. Help us to come home to you and to receive your love. And so in this sermon series, we are looking at the story of the prodigal son in terms of the significant seasons of our souls. We're looking at four crucial movements that God invites us into in order to make changes in our lives so we can grow and change and transform and become more like Jesus. In week one, we looked at the season of release where we are are invited to release those people, those things or situations that we can no longer keep so that we can grow. In our story, we watched as the father released his selfish prodigal son into the world. And as difficult as this must have been, it was what the father had to do. And it is what God calls each one of us to do as he gives us the freedom to go into the world and then choose him and to come home to him. In week two of the sermon series, we looked at who we are and what we have reaped. The key word is realize. We wake up to what we have done to ourselves and to others. In our story, we watch this play out as the younger son not only left home, but he engaged in wild and out of control living. It wasn't until he hit the bottom of the barrel that he started to wake up to the reality of his own reckless behavior and the havoc it wreaked on his own life and the lives of others. In week three, we focused on the word repair, to repair what we have done wrong. And in the story, the bottom of the barrel became a new beginning for this young son as he started to care about repairing his relationship with his father and to trust that just maybe his father wanted to repair his relationship with his son. So today, in this final season of our series, we are focusing on the word restore. 
Here we enter a season of restoring those broken relationships in our lives. And as we visit this last part of this sermon series, I'd like us to pause for a moment and look at the context in which Jesus is getting ready to tell the story of the prodigal son. While Jesus is teaching, he's seen by the Pharisees as accepting of sinners and even dining with them. And as the Pharisees are listening to Jesus, they're starting to grumble. They're starting to murmur. They're not heckling Jesus. It's not some sort of loud complaining. They just didn't like him, this upstart preacher from the countryside. And they were verbally undermining Jesus as he was speaking. He was just a carpenter after all. What, what did he know? And so in response to the Pharisees, Jesus starts telling stories around lostness. People who've lost things that are so precious to them that they go to great lengths to find them and to restore them to their proper place in their lives. And so the first story is the prodigal of the lost sheep. And the shepherd asks this question. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? The answer is a resounding yes. And on top of that, the shepherd puts the sheep on his shoulders and he rejoices with his family and friends and neighbors saying this. There'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The second story that Jesus starts to tell is also from Luke, and it is the parable of the lost coin. This is a, about a woman who, after losing one of her precious coins, searches all over the house for it. You can just see her rummaging through closets and drawers, looking under the bed. She's probably hot and tired and dirty, looking for this precious lost coin, and she finds it. The woman celebrates with her neighbors, neighbors and friends and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner, one sinner who repents. Our God is like this, this is our Father. This is the love of our God who rejoices in finding those who are lost, who come to their senses, re repent of their sins, and now they are found. Now they are home. So our story of the prodigal son is a continuation of that theme. So in our story so far, the younger son has left home. He took his portion of his dad's estate the son had squandered all of his money in dangerous and out of control living. He's cold and hungry and tired and found himself just wanting to come home back to his father. You know, the idea of coming home has had a significant and powerful influence over human life. Many of us have memories of returning home at least a couple times a year, all of us witness or even part of the millions of people who are traveling home or piling our families into automobiles and taking the long journey home for the Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays. 
There's always the news reports of the airports being backed up with the sheer volume of the people making the all-important and important trek home for the holidays, home to connect if only for a meal and to exchange a few gifts. Home is a powerful concept. We all have strong feelings surrounding it, revealing some deep longing within us. But where does this deep longing come from? It comes from God. In the beginning, in the book of Genesis, we are told that we were created to live in the garden of God. We are created to live in the one place where we had a life with God, a life lived in the presence of the one who loves us. And there in the Garden of Eden, we were to live, we were to adore and to serve our Father and to know, enjoy, and reflect his infinite beauty. That was our original home, the home we were called to be in, the home we were created for. However, the Bible also teaches us that while God was the father of our garden we were living in, we rebelled against his authority. We wanted to live without God's interference. And so we turned away and we became alienated from him. And in doing so, we lost our home just like the prodigal son did in this story. The result was our exile. And the scriptures tell us that we have been wandering as spiritual exiles ever since. The parable of the prodigal son is about every single one of us. And so in our story last week, we left off with our prodigal son moving towards the posture of repair. And so our text reads, he got up and went to his father. But while he was a long way off, His father saw him, and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And so as this young son was making his way back home, probably coming over the long, last, tall hill, there in the distance was his family home. Everything looked so familiar. He just tugged at his heartstrings. He could see the hired hands working in the fields, the farmhouse and all the animals, the beautifully manicured acres, all illuminated by the afternoon sun. But there at the end of a long and winding driveway was a silhouette of a man who was beginning to show the signs of age and weariness. The father, you see, had been waiting for his son. He'd never given up hope that his son would return. Every afternoon he would wait, leaning against the wall and his own cane. He would wait as the sun would finally set and sadly, once again, he would return into the darkened home. His son still not returned. But today was different. Today was different. What was that he saw? Over the horizon, the father saw his son, and without hesitation, he ran to him. He embraced him. He loved him. He was filled with compassion, and he kissed him. 
The father just ran to the son, just throwing off any pride or dignity. In those days, it was completely undignified for a Jewish man to run. He would have had to pick up the skirts of his robe. It just wasn't done. It was awkward. It looked terrible. But the prodigal's dad was so filled with joy, he ran to his son, completely filled with love and compassion. At this point, the father had no idea why his son had returned. If all, for all he knew, the son was going to ask for more money. But it didn't matter. The key here is the father was ready to restore his relationship with his son at the very first opportunity. No hesitation, no reservation. This, my friends, is the story of God and how much he loves us and wants us to come back home to him over and over again. Then the son says to the father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The son confessed he knew he was wrong. He realized the pain he had caused his father and he owned up to it. And not only that, look at the father's response. He was quick to go into celebration mode. No rebuttals, no lectures, just love and celebration. So the father presents the son with three gifts. First, he dressed his son in the best robe of the house. The best robe was a sign of honor. The son had disgraced himself and dishonored his father. He fully expected to be made one of the servants or the hired hands of the farm. But the father would have none of that. Instead, he honored his son showing him and telling him that nothing could change his relationship with his father. Secondly, the father puts a ring on his son's finger. This is a sign of love and friendship and loyalty. The father was saying, no matter what happens, you are my son now and forever. And then the father gave the son a pair of sandals. This was both a sign of freedom and belonging. Only free men wore sandals, not slaves. Only those who lived in the house wore shoes. Guests had to park them at the front door. So the father is saying, you are not a slave, you're not even a guest, you are my son and you belong to me as my son in this house. The father extended the full forgiveness and restoration to his son. And finally, the father called for the fatted calf. Nothing was too good for his son. The people living in Jesus' time didn't eat much meat, and the meat they had, they saved for very special occasions. And so the father chose this day to kill the fattened calf. The father was filled with joy. My son was dead, now he's alive. My son was lost, and now he's found. Did the son deserve any of this? Of course not. The son did not deserve the honor of the robe, the pledge of the ring, the welcome of the sandals, the slaughter of the calf. 
this is a picture of how God treats us. God doesn't treat us as we deserve. He treats us with grace. He honors us. He loves us. He welcomes us back over and over again. The full rights and responsibilities and love as his sons and daughters. He forgives us and he rejoices when we return again and again, period. But friends, our story is not over. Remember the father had two sons. Meanwhile, the older son was out in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. The elder brother had been working hard out on the farm and he returned home and a huge party was in progress. In that culture, such festivities would last for days. And he was wondering what had caused such a spontaneous outburst of a celebration. And the servants told the elder son that his younger brother had returned. The older brother was livid. After the father comes out and begs him to come back out, come back into the house, join the festivities, the older son says this, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. The son erupted in anger and he basically says this, let me get this straight. That son of yours, this selfish, ungrateful, arrogant son of yours who came to you and told you he wished you were dead, he took your money, he went off to some city, he hung out with prostitutes, he dishonored our name, he brought disgrace upon you, upon me, he ate with pigs, he comes traipsing back here and you fall all over him like a doting father, like a doting, silly dad. On the other hand, I stayed with you through thick and thin. I worked hard for you. I've been the dutiful son. I maintained the farm. I took care of all the animals and the servants, all the crops. I've been industrious and prudent and controlled. Check, 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 right down the list. You never gave me a party like this. You never made a fuss over me like this. Maybe the older brother was right. Many of us would have been angry with this situation, and rightly so, disobedience was being rewarded, and obedience seemed to go unrewarded. And what was the father's response to his elder son? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. 
Do you see what Jesus is doing here? Jesus was confronting the Pharisees who were criticizing him for hanging out with sinners and dining with them at the beginning of this chapter. Jesus is basically saying to the Pharisees, you understand that my receiving of these sinners is how our Father God, it's a picture of God, how our Father God treats us when we are lost, when we've come to our senses, when we turn to him and repent and come back home. And yet the Pharisees reveal over and over again that they are strangers to grace. They don't understand their own brokenness, their own sinful nature before God. They are the prototype of this older brother. In his self-righteousness, this older brother thought he was morally superior to his wild, younger sibling. He wasn't thinking, you know, I could have been that arrogant, ungrateful kid who ran off and got lost and spent all your money, led a miserable life. I could have sunk to that low of eating with pigs and hanging out with prostitutes. He didn't see that he was just as selfish and arrogant and ungrateful. He didn't see that he was a fellow sinner to his brother. In his self-righteousness, this elder brother had neither love or mercy for his younger sibling. There was no mission of mercy to rescue his brother and come home. His brother being alive meant nothing to him. You kind of want to ask this elder brother, do you have feelings? Are you a part of this family? Do you feel anything that your father is feeling? In his self-righteousness, this elder brother's service was nothing more than joyless servitude. Tim was slave's work. He hated his dad. It was a burden. He was just waiting for his dad to die. This was graceless service of a self-righteous person who thought he was superior to everyone because he followed all the rules. And that, my friends, is precisely what Jesus was getting at in this story. None of us, whether we are the younger brother or the older brother or some combination thereof, none of us deserve God's grace. No one deserves God's grace. And when we think we do, we show that we do not understand our own need, our own sin, and our own brokenness. Elder brothers are broken, but in a different way than their younger siblings. You know, there are two prodigal sons in this story, except as far as we know, one of them didn't know he was the prodigal son as well. He was in the household with his father, he was obeying all of his commandments, but he thought he deserved his father's favor, and he didn't see his own sin. Notice that Jesus does not provide any resolution to this story. It simply ends on verse 32, when Jesus tells the elder son, the father tells the elder son that everything I have is yours. 
but we had to celebrate this brother of yours, celebrate his coming home. What I find most compelling is the end of the story reimagined by a pastor by the name of Dr. Leslie Weatherhead. And this is what Dr. Leslie says, and I quote, in my imagination, I see the end of this story. I see the light shining through the farmhouse. I hear the music and the laughter of the festivities. And then I see the elder son. His heart is darkened, filled with resentment. His spirit is shrouded in self-pity. I see him slinking down the muddy lane. He throws a glance over his shoulder at the warm lights of the home. Happiness there is hateful to him. His brother's return has angered him. His brother's welcome has embittered him. He felt righteous because his brother was labeled as unrighteous. And the feasting and festivities stripped him of those feelings. I hear a melancholy wind blowing in and around the farmhouse. And I see that secret tragic figure of the elder son slipping away in the shadows, in the darkness of his own resentment. Friends, we have a choice to make. We can repent and turn back to our father and his loving embrace or we too can pass through the shadows into the darkness of our own resentment. At the beginning of Luke chapter 15, we talked about three stories around lostness. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. The similarities of these stories is obvious. Someone loses something, they go to great lengths to find it, and they rejoice with their neighbors and friends. But there is a distinct difference between the first two stories and the third one. In the first two, someone goes out to find the lost sheep or the lost coin. But when we get to the third story, nobody goes out to search for the lost son. No one. It's startling. It's rough. But I believe Jesus meant it to be that way. There's a story shared by Pastor Timothy Keller about a young son who went off to fight in the army in Vietnam and he went missing in action. And when the family could not find out through any official channels about his status, the older brother went to look for him. The older brother flew to Vietnam and risking his life, he searched the jungles and he searched the battlefields for his lost brother. And despite the danger, he was never hurt because those on either side of the battlefield heard of his story and his dedication and respected his quest. He was known simply as the brother. Friends, this is what the elder brother in this story should have done. This is what a true elder brother would have done. He would have said, Father, my younger brother has wandered off. He's a fool and now his life is in ruins. Let me go and find him. And if he has spent his inheritance, let me bring him back at my own expense. 
by putting a flawed elder brother into the story, Jesus is inviting us to imagine and to ask for a true one. And the good news, my friends, is we have the true one. We have the one who came from heaven to this earth to search for every single one of us, to find us, to save us. We have the one who is willing to pay at the cost of his life to bring us back home into God's family. As the elder or the younger brother, we have all rebelled against God. We all deserve rejection and isolation and desolation. But our true elder brother paid our debt on the cross. And there Jesus was stripped of his robe of dignity so we could wear the robe of dignity and grace that we do not deserve. On the cross, Jesus was treated as an outcast. He was spit upon and crucified so we could be brought back into God's family as his daughters and sons. And there Jesus drank from the cup of eternal justice so we could drink from the cup of our Father's joy and love. So then how can we experience the full restoration when we have lost our way? By allowing our hearts simply to be changed by God's love. At the cost of his life, Jesus paid the debt for our sins, providing for us a place that we can come home to that our hearts can be loved and embraced by God. So in this next week, I invite you to ponder, to reflect on exactly what Jesus did for all of us. Think about it and pray about it. Take the grace of God deeply into your hearts. Let it change you. Let it move you. And when you are ready, I invite you to take the next steps to see who God is calling on you to reach out a hand of forgiveness and restoration to. Perhaps it is a family member or a long lost friend or a coworker. From his book, The Prodigal God, Timothy Keller provides this profound advice. We will never stop being younger brothers or elder brothers until we acknowledge our need, rest by faith, and gaze in wonder at the work of our true elder brother, Jesus Christ. When we can start to receive God's love, acknowledge our own sin and brokenness, and realize what Jesus has done for us, we can come home as God's beloved sons and daughters, his children. Let us pray. Dearest Father God, help us to receive your love and know our need for your grace. Help us to acknowledge all that Jesus did for us. Help us to find our way back home to you. Amen.